I want to turn to Isaiah chapter 58, and we're going to start there. Um, I know my life growing up was different to a lot of people's, and, and uh, you know, we went through a whole lot of different things on the mission field, a lot of good experiences, a lot of really hard experiences, a, a lot of challenging things. But from 10th grade, other than getting to go home on vacation, I didn't live at home. I went to boarding school. And so I, I, I lived away from home. That was not easy. And uh, I remember being, I think it was my junior year, and sitting out on the side of a, the mountain range that we, the school was on and, and feeling torn on the inside because I felt like I needed time as a young and as an adolescent. I needed time with my dad to be able to learn what you're supposed to know to be a man. You know, aren't there lessons that I'm supposed to be receiving or things I'm supposed to be learning and skills that I'm supposed to be developing and working alongside him on the car and that type of thing? And, and I was missing out on that. And I just, I went out on the side of that hill, sat down on a log that was supposed to be a bench for watching rugby games. I sat down there and I just wept. I had just tears running down my face. I'm like, ah. I'm like, I need, a, I need my daddy. I need my daddy. And I'm a junior in high school, but I was still calling him daddy because I needed my dad. And inside, as clear as anything, I heard the Lord say, I'll be a father to you. And I'll always be there. My dad had obligations to ministry and, and travel. And, and he physically could not be there, even if I was at home. And a lot of times when I would go home, I would get to go home sometimes on the weekend, not very often, but occasionally on the weekend. Well, that was busy time for my parents because they were in the ministry. And so there were times when they would come, try to come up to the school during the week when they weren't busy. And, well, I'm in classes. And so I was missing out of that. But the, the, the good part I wanted to share with you, the Lord spoke to me and said, I'll be a father to you, and, and I'll always be there. And, I, and at, at that point in my life, there was really a spiritual renewal. I never rebelled against the Lord, but there was a freshness that came into my life. I began to pursue the Lord for an understanding of why I believed what I believed, that I just didn't want to have doctrine or belief systems that weren't based on spiritual-based truth. I didn't want to just believe things because that's all I'd ever heard or because that's what mom and dad believed. I wanted to understand because it was in God's word. And so it became a beginning of a fresh spiritual journey for me, a, a, a more intense spiritual journey. When I came to the States in 1983, I do know what cassettes are. My first car had an eight-track tape in it beyond its time. But I came to the States, and I, I went to a school that was a spiritual school. that there were, We had experiences at the altar and things like that. But in a way, I felt displaced Something wasn't right. There was something that just didn't fit with my spiritual experience and what I was experiencing in some of the things that were being, I was hearing taught or some of the things that I was seeing in other people's lives. And I, I asked the Lord, I said, Lord, what is it? Why do I feel disconnected from this spiritual experience? And just as plain as day, I was seeking the Lord about this and trying to find, Lord, I don't feel like I fit. What is it? And the Lord said, he said because they have, they, have, uh, um, they have traded the simplicity of me for a formula. Take that. They've traded the simplicity of me for a formula. And isn't that true of religion? I mean, and I understand that the word religion can be, can be used broadly. Any 
type of religious practice, and, and religion doesn't have to be a bad thing. But when we're talking about religion as a formula in replacement of the relationship with God, we want to look a certain way, we want to act a certain way, we want to put behaviors in place of it being a life experience that changes the way that the the relationship actually changes the way we live instead of we just change the behavior in order to look a certain way. I don't know if I'm saying that clearly or not. Do you know what I'm saying? So we put on a show instead of really having the transformation. We want to appear to be a certain way. I have to wear the uniform, but I'm not really the soldier. You understand? Look, when you get in the trenches, I want the soldier. I don't want the look. And so God challenges the people in, in Isaiah chapter 58. And if we don't have the relationship, we don't have anything. If all we have is just religion and we've got formulas, what we're, I, I, I don't mean to, I guess I am reflecting, but we're actually doing God a disservice by just being religious we've all come in contact with very religiously pious people and people that a lot of times that religion manifests in this way religion will sit there and point the finger and say but you don't do it right you should be doing it this way and not that way because it's not based out of a relationship and if i can just frame religion and just understand what that type of formula is and I've, I've said this recently, and, I'm, and so I'm being drawn to restate it, but you can take a gifted person and sit them, uh, sit them down with a guitar or put them behind a piano, and they can play a song that will just capture your heart. And did you know that someone that's skilled in music theory can sit down and write down that same song word for word, note for note, and they can, uh, they can write down the dynamics of the song, Largo or Pianissimo, and, and say exactly how the song ought to sound. And another person can come along and take that piece of music and do their best to reproduce it. They can play it word for word. They can make the song increase in volume where it's supposed to increase in volume because they have taken the song and they put it into theory. And it communicates where the note should be But there's a whole lot of difference in what's communicated because there's no life in it. It's just the notes. It's just the formula. It's just just a symbolic representation of what the life of that song really is. But when you get a musician who can communicate a song, it will lift your spirits. It'll make you weep. It'll make you feel good. It will change your atmosphere. But when somebody just plays the notes, they're trying, you know, but it's just no life in it. There's no passion in it. And it's the same thing when it comes to religion versus someone that's living out of the relationship. There's no life in just adopting a formula. There's no life in just adopting a standard of living. If you're trying to adopt a standard of living in, tr- uh, in order to appease God, can I just say something? God no longer needs to be appeased. He's already, the price has already been paid. We will never earn what we have in Christ because it is in Christ 
through Christ, by what he did, that we get to stand in the grace and receive what God's provided for us. We will not earn it. You cannot earn it. So stop trying. Don't do the good that you do to get the attention of God. You've already got his attention. Do what you do because of who he's created you to be. In, if, in Isaiah chapter 58, it says this, and, and if, if y'all would just allow me to do this, there's no way I could not preach my way through it, but there's several scriptures. I'm going to be doing a lot of reading. Um, and I don't know how I'm going to keep myself from not saying things, but I, I really want to, I'm, I'm going to try to, yeah, we'll work with it. The Lord is, is really speaking to his people, and he's telling them about how they're doing things out of religious intent. They're trying to do formulas in order to try to get him to respond in a certain way, and then he, he's going to redirect that. And in this, I'm trusting the Lord to help us to understand who we are and change our perspective on why we do the things we do. In verse 2 of, of Isaiah chapter 58, I actually gave you the right reference this time. Isaiah 58, verse 2. For day after day they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways, as if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of its God. They ask me for just decisions and seem eager for God to come near them. But listen to their response. So these are the people that are going through all the religious formula, okay? In verse 3, you hear their response. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? They're trying to catch God's attention by their fasting. What they're really trying to do is manipulate him. And, and a lot of times people would do religious acts to try to manipulate God. We're trying to get God to serve us. When God said, he's given us his promise. He says, this is my heart towards you. This is what I would like to do for you. But uh, let me tell you, if you are trying to manipulate God... It would not be right God, for God to bless you for manipulating him. Verse 3, why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you've not noticed? This is what he says. Now, let me, let me just, I'm going to pause there. <laughs> why do we fast? If we fast, why do we fast? It's to change us, not to change God. Look, I've not, I know, I remember Pastor Eric talking about extended fasts that he had done and, and things like that. I've not been someone who's done a whole lot of extended fasts. But January of this last year, I did go on an extended fast. I didn't have any great dramatic spiritual revelation in that time. But you know what? There's things that changed about my physical body. My body had the opportunity to heal from things. I saw some things change with regards to I felt like my immune system there was I won't go into the gory detail but there were some things that weren't working the way they were supposed to work and after the fact there was a change it changed me physically but if we think that somehow that we can fast and that's going to change God or earn God's attention to us it's no more than those pagan priests that went out there and cut themselves and thought that maybe if we cut ourselves we can got you know coerce we'll get God's attention maybe he'll feel sorry for us no, we don't have to do that. 
God's already compassionate towards us. He doesn't need that. But there are times when we, because of a, a spiritual pursuit of something, we need to constrain ourselves. We need to discipline ourselves. We need to refocus our own lives. And it may not be fasting for you. It may be pressing into God's Word. It may be taking time to be still and in all the busyness of life and just spend time still with the Lord. If it's not drawing you deeper into relationship, beware of it that it's not just a religious act, okay? It, it should be drawing us nearer to the Lord. And I need, I need to get back on track or I'm never going to get through with this. Yet, it says halfway through verse 3, it says, Yet on the day of your fasting, will, will you mute everything else but this? Just check that, see if that works. Yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please, and you exploit your workers. So they're fasting, trying to manipulate God, but their, their lifestyle is still bad. You exploit your workers, verse 4. Your fasting ends with, in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. Okay, religion. Does your pursuit of religion make you point fingers at other people? Does the character of God really become manifest in you or are you being puffed up with pride in your religion and it makes you become accusatory of other people out there? You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this, listen, there's two, two little sections here. Is this the kind of fast I've chosen? Only a day for a man to humble himself? I mean, that sounds like a good thing, right? To humble yourself? Is that all he's looking for out of a fast? And for lying in sackcloth and ashes, woe is me, Lord, please take attention to me. I'm suffering down here. Is, it, is that what you call a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Do you think the Lord really gets any pleasure out of that? That you're wallering out there, woe is me. I'm so, uh, boy, that really would. What if your spouse approached you that way? Uh, that wouldn't draw you. I mean, like, yeah. And then he turns around in verse 6. In verse 5, he starts out with, is this the kind of fast I've chosen? And then he changes it in verse 6, and he comes back and says, is not this the kind of fast that I've chosen? So he's redirecting. He's starting to say, no, this is something that's important to me. This is what I would like to see happen. Fasting is not just about depriving yourself, but a real fast should be about turning and doing what God desires that we're changing our behavior and our lifestyle so we're starting to do the things that he wants us to do, not just depriving ourselves from wrong. It's a change of mindset. We're not just trying to keep ourselves from, uh, from conflict with God's laws or keep ourselves from things that are the old nature, but that we are stepping into the new nature that we're beginning to be the people that we're called to be. So it's not just staying away from things because our disposition is towards doing wrong. And so now we're going to fast and keep from those things. But what God really desires from his people is that we step into who he's created us to be and we start living and doing the things that pertain to the new man and our calling in the Lord. So this is what he does desire. Verse 6 again. Is not this the kind of fasting that I've chosen to loose the chains of injustice? And to untie the cords of the yoke. These are things that are important to the Lord. These are the things that the Lord would like to see happening. To set the oppressed free and to break every yoke. 
Is it not to share your food with the hungry? Look, he's calling us to live a life beyond ourselves. Don't just see to it that your own needs are met and be concerned about me, 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 me. I don't know why, but I feel like I'm finding Nemo. Mine, 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 mine. Those seagulls. Mine, 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 mine. Everything's about me. Mine, 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 mine. That may, I don't know what scriptures that, that's in somewhere. But those seagulls, they see, they, they want everything for themselves. Mine, 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 mine. And that's the way some believers are. I, I want me, 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 me. I, I want my needs to be met. What has God got for me? What can he do for me? How can God help me? But never concern about other people. God's concerned about the people that are oppressed and broken and hurting and hungry. It says, verse 7, I better start back there. Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? That's a, can you imagine taking in a stranger? Okay. Lord, help us. When you see the naked to clothe him, don't just talk about him. Not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. And in this passage that we just read, he's, he's trying to get his people to look beyond their own personal needs and start seeing the needs of the people. How will our city ever change? Unless people who have an anointing from the Lord and have a relationship with the Lord are willing to step out and change it. I weep. Look, I, I've, I've never... I don't, I don't even know how to categorize this because I don't want to... I've never been ad addicted to a, a substance that I know of. There, there may have been behaviors that I was involved in that shouldn't have been there, but I've never been involved in a, a chemically addictive situation. But I hurt for the fact that so many people in our society today are there. And it is important to pray for that need. But folks, somehow, somebody who is connected with the Lord has got to do more than just pray. And isn't it so easy when we talk about something like that to say, well, I hope that they do. I hope that somebody does. But I guess the cry that's in my heart, Lord, are, how are we supposed to be connected? Is there something that we're supposed to do to lift up those heads that hang down, to, to set free those people that are in bondage there? Not just that, that there's a, a laundry list here in verse 6 and 7 of needs. And Lord, I mean, I didn't mean to say Lord. And, and folks, we come in contact with people like this every day. The perspective there's, there's something the Lord challenged me on this week. Folks, our faith, I almost put the word religion in there, but we've already, that would have been, our faith should not be a Sunday morning faith. It should not be a Sunday morning faith. If our if we feel like we've done our obligation because we came to church on Sunday and we heard a word or we worshiped a little bit, that's not relationship. That's not relationship. It should permeate our being. It should captivate our minds. It should be in our hearts when we see somebody in need. Oh, Lord, how can we leave people in the condition that we're finding them? Knowing that God's heart is to see them set free. But he says if... 
instead of fasting just to get our needs met, but if we'll begin to live in such a way that we're reaching out and we're helping people that have need in this kind of way, and it's more than just handing some money or giving some food. It's about sharing the life that's inside of us. He says in, in verse 8, Then your light will break forth like the dawn. Man, I had a beautiful experience with a sunrise a few weeks back. I posted it online, but it was such a captivating eye. I felt so ill-prepared, ill-equipped because the camera that I had couldn't capture it. And so I went and got a different camera that had better resolution, better imaging and everything. And I caught it on there. And yet the image that I caught was a still image. And this thing was ever transforming. And I'm thinking, Lord, there's no way to capture the, the complexity and the magnitude and the beauty of what you're doing right here in front of me. And the Lord said, well, just enjoy it then. <laughs> Don't try to capture it. Just relish it. This is an experience from the Lord. I, my mom came out on her porch and I was standing out there. I just got to stand there and enjoy it. God put that moment there for me. It was mine. Mine, mine, mine. But then he says here in this verse, then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Just imagine that so much is going on in your experience with the Lord. You don't even have to worry about so full of the presence of the Lord and he's, he's using you so effectively that I don't have time to worry about all those details. I know that God's got all those things. He's covering me from behind. Then you, will call the, then you will call and the Lord will answer and you will cry for help and he will say, here, here am I. He says, if you, if you do away with the yoke of oppression and the pointing figure, figure, sorry, finger and malicious talk. Let's not ensnare our brothers and sisters with malicious talk. Let's not characterize them with slander. Let's not gossip. I trust that that's not what characterizes us. Don't be quick to share gossip. What if, what if the Lord said to you, you can have whatever you say. Okay, I know. What if he said that? What if you spoke something about someone just telling the story or as a prayer request, you tell what's going on in their life and the Lord says, well, so be it. What if God allowed you to speak things authoritative? What if you were a son and daughter of the Almighty and God allowed you to have what you spoke? What if that tongue of ridicule and that word spoken over that person. I tell you what, if they don't get themselves straightened out, they are really going to fill in the details. What if? And what if we decided to speak life instead of speaking destruction? What if we saw their need? And what if we saw the hurt that they're living in? And what if we saw the pain that they're going through? And instead of responding and talking in kind, what if we spoke creatively over them what God sees for them and we began encouraging them and we began reaching out to them instead of leaving them in their pit? What if we began, began conveyors of life instead of speaking what's their diagnosis? Why don't we speak their destiny? 
If you do away with the yoke of impression, verse 9, and with the pointing finger and malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves, listen to that, spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfying the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your day will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always and will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden and a spring whose waters never fail. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the age-old foundations. Can I pause right in the middle of that and say this? Our foundations of our society are broken. The reason why YouTube is populated with all these videos that are out there of fighting and all the different kind of things that are going on and the, the abuse of law and order and, and the people that are refused to, uh, that determined to be lawless. The reason why our media is filled with that is because there's something broken about the foundations of our nation and it's not just our nation, it's nations around the world. It is an, a sign of the age. Scripture talks about the man of lawlessness rising up. It's, it's a spirit. It's not just an individual. But the, yes, it is in the church. And, but God can use us to reestablish the foundations. I love this passage. Let's go back. Can we can read verse 12 again? Your people re, will rebuild the ancient ruins. It's not just about buildings. And, and I know Isaiah is speaking to Israel and speaking to the brokenness of a nation and their, their, their temple ended up being torn down and the, the gates around the city were torn down and their, their buildings of significance were torn down and the things that they would have attached their identity to as a people were destroyed and demolished in order to cause them to have no, no foundation and no, no identity as a people, no strength in that kind of way. But spiritually what's being dealt with here is that we are here to establish foundations in, in light of the relationship with the Lord, that we live the way that God would have us to live. Going back to verse 12. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the age-old foundations. Lord, for us, that means the lordship of Christ, that Jesus and the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, that they reign, that everything in heaven and earth should be under their authority. That you will be the repairer of the broken walls, restorer of streets and dwellings. Our destiny is that we set things back in order the way that they're supposed to be in, in order. That we bring hearts and lives back into line with the purpose of God. And, and, and we got the evangelical message about getting out there and winning people to the Lord. But I would love to just expand that a little bit further. And, and just, can I just, setting society back in order the way it's supposed to be and, and speaking truth to leaders where they don't understand how to, to mend and how to fix, but that yet there's wisdom and understanding that comes from God's Word. There's ancient principles and foundations that when you step out of line with this, yes, things are going to fall apart and it's not going to work. But if you come back into line with these things, the principles that God's laid out in His Word, that God can reestablish justice and righteousness and holiness and security and peace in a nation. That Word's valid. I've been, I can't go there. I need to stay away. I'm getting ready to go to Nova Scotia. There's a word. Look, look at, turn over to Isaiah 59, please. 
And would you turn to, to verse 15? Look, do you think God is somehow disconnected from what's going on the earth? When God looks over the earth right now, do you think his heart is touched by the brokenness? What makes someone think that it's all right to take another human being and traffic them? Whether it be for work or for sexual exploitation or but it's so it's prevalent today it's not just something of the past it's prevalent today don't you know that god's touched by that when we look at the things that are going on in our society and and the the uh, it deviant lifestyles are being shoved down our throat you can't watch a television show without that being layered in as a part of the storyline there are, there are things, Seal and I started watching a series, and they have taken this story that should be detective in nature and made a, they have made a prominent part of the storyline a, a gay agenda. They've made that a prominent part of the storyline. It, it's not even relevant to what should be going on, but they're normalizing things that God says should not be normal. <laughs> Verse 15 says this, halfway through verse 15, it says, The Lord looked and was displeased that there was no justice. He saw that there was no one. And he was appalled that there was no one to intervene. Is the, is the, is the body of Christ intervening? Are we intervening? We can see the problem. But are we doing anything to intervene? Lord, help us. There's some areas I don't know how. I don't know how. I may have opportunity to come in contact, and I may have opportunity for a moment to be able to do something, but I want us to know how. How do we change things? How do we live? How do we act? How do we demonstrate what we've received in the Lord in such a way that it brings transformation in the lives of people? The Lord was appalled that there was no one to intervene, so his own arm worked salvation for him, and his own righteousness sustained him. God said, there's no one doing it, so I'm going to step in. He put on righteousness as his breastplate. Doesn't that sound familiar? We're, in, in our Ephesians study, we're getting ready to get to the armor of the Lord, so this is relevant. He put on righteousness as his bless, breastplate, <laughs> And the helmet of, of salvation on his head. And he put on garments of vengeance and wrapped himself in zeal as a goal. Lord, make us zealous about this, not complacent. Then it goes on. Let's look, go on down to verse 20. Uh, let me, let's go on down to verse 20. The Redeemer will come to Zion to those in Jacob who repent of their sins. Has a Redeemer come? Yes, a Redeemer came. Jesus came. As for me, he says this, this is my covenant with them, says the Lord. My spirit who is on you and my words that I have put in your mouth will not depart from your mouth or from the mouths of your children or from the mouths of their descendants from this time on and forever, says the Lord. My spirit who is on you and my words that I have put in your mouth will not depart from your mouth. So be it. You know, and I love the fact that we've got divisions in our Bible because it helps us be able to find a chapter and a verse. 
But the Bible didn't start out that way. That came later on. You know, see what the next verse is? Arise, shine, for your light has come. I want you to tell you, those first two words, arise and shine there, they are imperative. It's not a suggestion. God's speaking to his people, and, they're, and he's saying, get up. Wake up. If you go back and read the Hebrew that's here, you'll find that this is like a call to war. It's a call for a soldier to stand up and arm yourself. Do, get ready to do something. Wake up. It's not just wake up because you're sleeping, but it's like get up. There's a battle at hand. Shake yourself. Steady yourself. Brace yourself for something. Be prepared. Like your armor is on. You're ready to do something. You're going to war. I'm not kind of lackadaisical. Just look. There was a thought that went through my mind a while ago, and I didn't get a chance to come back to it, but I'm coming to it right now. James, you talked about fleas. Brother, I don't get to fish a whole lot, but I love to fish. There's some really good, relaxing times out there. And I had an opportunity down in Florida one time to go out on a canoe on a moonlit night. Beautiful, beautiful. The water was calm. We were out in between the mangrove trees. We were going out for what we would call puppy drum. They call them reds down there. There's a, there's a size limit, okay? You have to have it between these parameters. But I was geared up. I had the right type of fishing rod. It was an expensive one, too. About a $100 fishing rod. Had the right kind of tackle, the right kind of gear. And my buddy Doug and I were out there in that canoe. I don't think I've ever been in a more pristine environment. The, the moon was perfect over the water. There's just little ripples on the water. No real wind blowing or tide or anything like that. <coughs> and I, you, you, I was just captivating to see how beautiful it was out there. And we came around, we were fishing up along docks and things like that, and we'd caught a few fish, and it was really just a good night to be out there. And we came around these mangroves and came into this open area in between mangroves, and you could see the reds or the, the puppy drum. When they are feeding, they will do what they call tailing. You'll see them going across the water, and you'll see their, the tip of their tail out of the water. And you, we coming into this big open area, and you could see them tailing on the water. They were out feeding we were hitting the jackpot with regards to fishing. I was lit up. And we eased in between these just slowly paddling out there so as not to disturb the, the atmosphere of the place. And we came out there. And about time we came to that last passage into that open area like that, all of a sudden something bit me. <laughs> and then something got me back here. Ugh, got me over here. There's this little thing that you can't see called a no -seum. Has anybody had an experience with no Sims? Oh, my goodness gracious. We had everything that we needed in that boat except insect repellent. Perfect night. Beautiful moon on the water. The fish were ready. We had all the gear that we need. We were at the right time and the right place and everything, but we forgot the insect repellent, and we started getting eaten up with these no Sims so bad. I remember sitting in the front of the, the canoe, and I just pulled my shirt up over my head, and I just sat there like this. <laughs> And I, I, I was doing my best to cover up and any exposed flesh, my hands are getting eaten and I was trying to hide and everything like that. Perfect environment, but I was getting so chewed on that I couldn't even enjoy it. It couldn't benefit out of anything like that because I was getting chomped on. 
couldn't stand it. And Doug in the back was having the same experience. He was more determined to fish than I was. I was hiding. But he tried to fish a little bit and maybe made it about five minutes longer. He said, let's get out of here. We can't handle this. It was just rough. And I'm thinking, one of those little, it's just, yeah, yeah. And then they ch- you got chewed on. You got little red marks all over you. It was terrible. It was awful. Look, I'm going to tell you something. Because the Lord brought this to me when James was talking about it. The enemy will send things to chew on you and chew on you and chew on you to keep you from being able to fulfill the purpose that God has for you. As long as we allow ourselves, I should have prepared myself with something to keep them away. or They make netting to keep it away. But folks, the enemy will be sure to provide whatever it takes to try to stop you as long as you allow him to. But God's made provision for us too that he will make sure that we have everything we need to be successful. Don't get distracted by your circumstance. Invite God into your circumstances. This scripture says, arise, shine. It's an imperative to shine. How? How do we shine in a dark world? Darkness has filled the world. It's pitch black out there. It's pitch black. Have you ever been on such a dark night that there doesn't seem like there's any stars and there's no moon and it's just dark? He talks about that's how the world is. What do we do in a world where they don't have the foundations and they don't know how to live and they're determined to live contrary to God's principles and they want to do what they want to do no matter what you say. What do you do? In the midst of that, you shine. Because folks, they may be determined to live contrary to God, but there will come a day when they hit bottom. There will come a day when they turn. There will come a day when they need help. And they're going to go to where they see light. What is different about you? Look, I've been observing you. I've seen something different about you. Can you tell me how? What, What do I need to do? Arise and shine. And it's not that we sit there and we manifest our religious facade. It's not that we sit, but we've been walking in relationship with someone and he's changed us from the inside out. He's taught us how to mellow when we feel like exploding. (laughs) He's taught us how to respond in the right way. Sometimes when we have the right to respond in the wrong way. But we understand it is not, look, I'm going to say this again. This this thing has gone through my core, and I want it to go through yours too. It's not about your circumstance. Because even though I would love to be able to tell you differently, believers go through stuff too. Believers go through stuff, okay? But in the middle of your stuff, let God govern your attitude. Let God govern. It is more, your response to your circumstance is more important than your circumstance. It's not about the perfect circumstance, but your response in that circumstance can change the outcome. It can change your influence. It can change your effect on, on you and on the people. Look, I said it the other day. You never fail one of God's lessons, but you sometimes have to keep taking them until you pass. God, because if it's a transitional, if it, is, uh, if it is something where God's trying to establish a core in your being, God's not going to leave you without that being there because he knows what he's got intended for you, and you may need that. 
So I, I don't want to spend too much time on it. But it says, Arise, shine, for your light has come. The intent on that is, I mean, the, what, the, the, uh, the, uh, what is being implied right there is that the light has come. It's already there. But he's challenging us to stand up and shine. He's already put something. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth, and doesn't it? It does. Darkness covers the earth, and thick darkness is over the peoples. So let's go hide. Let's go to church on Sunday and just have a little good, good old time together. No, that's not what he said. Don't go hide away and closet yourself away and wait for the day. He says, thick darkness is over the peoples, but the Lord rises upon you and his glory appears over you. Get this. Verse 3, nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your dawn. How big is your vision? How big is your vision? Are you trying to survive? Are you trying to get through? Look, we all have days and we all have seasons where it may be that for that season, our goal is getting through. I'm just trying to get through this. But understand, God's got a bigger perspective. Do you know that you might have a conversation with someone? I don't know why I keep going to the grocery store, but the grocery store, it may be at Barton College. You may have a, a conversation with someone in a workplace or at a house that you're going to, to. You may be on a college campus or maybe just stopping by someone's house and you have a conversation with someone and maybe they speak with a different accent or have a different language that they came from or something like that. And you realize God may ignite something on inside of them that they turn around and communicate with another family member and it can go back and bring light to a nation. It can change a group of people that may be here. I, I, I was talking with my uncle who, who uh, at Oral Roberts University is in charge of their school of Israel and Middle Eastern affairs. And I spoke to him, and I, I told him, yes, I, I, and this is recorded, so I'm mindful of that, but I told him, I said, you know, Muslims are flooding into this nation, and their intent is not to, to assim assimilate. They're, they have a, a part of their, there's an agenda, a part of their religion. Yeah, well, and I asked him about that. He said, yes. He said, but what you don't understand is that they live under a principality where they are. He said, and when they come into this nation, they're out from under that principality, he said, and the power of God to influence them here. If we as Christians get the right perspective and we build relationship and we be the, be the light to them, God can change them forever. Let me tell you, they, they know more than we do the bondage that they live under. You know, and there are some that are hardliners, other people, that's just all they know. And they think that by living strong in that way that somehow they will appease God they're still trying to appease. They're trying to appease God, and they will earn something for eternity. But it's a falsehood. They don't have it. They're living in, in delusion. But if we truly have the Spirit of God inside of us, don't you think that that can dispel any? The nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your dawn. <laughs> yes, I'm going to do it. Isaiah 61. Whose anointing do we walk under? Whose spirit is it that's on us? That same spirit that raised Christ from the dead. Luke chapter 4, Jesus went to the synagogue and he drew from Isaiah chapter 61 when he was 
giving his first sermon in the synagogue. And we are carrying that mantle. He is the head. We are the body. We're carrying on the ministry of the Lord. We're walking out in the same anointing. And Jesus said, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me. Can you just embrace that for a moment? Let that, it's permeating me right now. I feel the anointing moving through my body. It's making the hair of my arm stand on it, stand up. Hallelujah, Lord, so be it. Over this people, dear God. I want it to be over all the body of Christ, but would you just do this for us, dear God? Help us to rise up and help us to be light. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because he has anointed me. Who am I going to go to? Who, who am I going to call on when someone needs prayer? Who am I going to look to to say something? No, the Spirit of the Lord is on me. The Spirit of the Lord is on you. Embrace it for yourself. He has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. Those needy people out there, it's not just about being impoverished. It's about people who are suffering lack. What are they lacking? They're lacking healing. They're lacking understanding. They're lacking stability. They're lacking strength. They're lacking uh, mental clarity. They're needy. But to preach good news. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. Can God restore what's broken? Can God restore the broken through us? And to proclaim freedom to the captives or the prisoners. To release the rele- and release from darkness for the prisoners. Can I just say this? When Jesus quoted this, he didn't say prisoners there, but he said the blind. Rest- restoration of sight from the blind. And when you go back to the, the Septuagint version, the Greek rendering of this same passage, it's the same thing. It is, it's talking about opening the eyes of those who've been, who've been in darkness. They're blind. They're in captivity to it. That was a distinguishing ministry of Jesus, that he opened the eyes of the blind. Can God heal blind eyes? Lord, touch your God where there's a need right now, dear Lord. Open the eyes of the blind, your God. Those where there's spiritual blindness, they're caught in captivity where their eyes have faded because of the years. Lord, would you restore and make whole in Jesus' name, a spiritual anointing to restore those who are caught in darkness, to bestow on them the crown of, of beauty instead of ashes. I skipped something, didn't I? Let me go back. Verse 2, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of God's vengeance, the day of vengeance of our God. Let me just say something because we love God and we love to declare that God's of love. God's also a God of justice, which means that he has to deal with sin. His preferred way of dealing with sin is that people receive salvation and they be freed from it, that they receive the amazing grace that he's provided but that doesn't mean that he doesn't have to deal with sin in, in, in mankind that rejects him. God will have to do that. But the good news is that men who are living under the weight of sin can be set free from it and receive the grace of God. So we're declaring the day of the Lord. But the year of the Lord's favor is the part that I love. <laughs> to comfort all who mourn, to provide for those who grieve in Zion. If people are grieving and broken and hurt, that we provide for them, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord 
Can I just say that? That's what God needs. He needs people that are strong enough in Him. They're not bending and breaking under the circumstances of life, but they have found strength in the middle of their circumstances to help them lift up and raise themselves up. And being in the presence of the Lord when everything else seems like it's falling apart and finding strength in the middle of the storm to stand. Oaks of righteousness. Is it so that people can look at them and say, oh my goodness, what a great person they are. Let's, I'm about to put their name in lights. Is that what God's intent is? No. Look what it says. Go back to that next verse. For a display of His splendor. Don't look at me. Don't look at yourselves. Don't look at, don't look at, don't, don't. Don't get your eyes on men or women. And, and, and yeah. There's people we can learn a lot from. But make it a display of His splendor. Lord, may you receive all the glory. And God, may they, when they see light in us, when we stand up and do the things we should have been doing all along and when we live the way we should have been living all along, Lord, may it be for your glory. May people be drawn to you and not drawn to a personality. Dear God, because I'm subject to, to fail. I'm, I may misstep. I may, miss, I may react the wrong way. I may just completely miss saying hello or goodbye or not be mindful of the need when there is a need. But God, you're not. I don't want people to be drawn to me, Lord. I want them to be drawn to you. I know, Lord, the whole message behind these verses that we've been reading today from Isaiah 58 through Isaiah 61. God, is that you need a people, that you're intent on having a display. And God, you want your, your name to be glorified in the earth. Can we stand together? We're going to pray. <laughs> Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah. If we, don't, if we don't get this part, then we've missed the whole point of this sermon. It started out with, arise, shine, for your light has come and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Let me, let me state it plainly. You are that people. You are that person. That his anointing is on you. That his light has risen upon you. God has equipped you. It's not a one day. You may not have walked it out and seen all the gifts manifest. You may not have done all the grand things, but the anointing is there. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in us. So let's be that people. Let's give ourselves to him a sacrifice, a a fast, as it were, but we're giving ourselves to him, saying, Lord, what is it that you want to be, to be done in the earth? Lord, I don't, I've never done it before, but that doesn't mean I can't start working on it. Lord, use me. Use me, Lord. I position myself as a vessel available for your use, a utensil to be taken as needed, your God. Use me. And may the Lord manifest his glory through us. Lord God, we thank you, God. We're your people. What a privilege, dear God be called by your name 
God, I pray for a release of your anointing over this people, dear God, like never before. God, you've done amazing and mighty things. But God, there's, uh, it's like uh, just what I sense is a, a grassroots viral move, dear Lord, one-on-one through your people, dear God. It doesn't just have to be done from behind a, a pulpit or up at the front of a at the front of a sanctuary, dear God. It moves through the community as we move. Your spirit moves with us to bring transformation and life to people that we come in contact with. Lord, move effectively through us everywhere we go for your glory. Let light shine into the darkness, dear God. If darkness is in a place, dear Lord, then your light in us is the answer. Illuminate, dear God. Set the captives free. Open the eyes of the blind. Set those that are prisoners free, dear God, and Give them, give them uh, robes of, of gladness, dear God, for their mourning. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. What a good God you are. Lord, may you be glorified. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Hallelujah. Just, just take a moment. Would you just commit yourself to that? I know some of you already have, but just take it home with you. God, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Upon me, dear God, send me, dear God, do your work through me. We pray this in Jesus' name. Mm-hmm.